All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter number one. Philippians chapter number one. Probably don't do it enough. Want to thank, obviously, Pastor Andy for always thoughtfully and carefully leading us through worship. It's a blessing. We're thankful for that cross this morning. I know I'm thankful for it. And I don't know about you, but some Sundays are just somewhat of a challenge, you know, to just to get here. You ever, you ever had one of those Sundays before? Uh, whether you got kids or not, uh, sometimes it just feels like you're, you're, you're bouncing over multiple hurdles. And not only that, just trying to get in the right mindset, right, of, of the gathered church, ready to come and to worship a risen Lord. Uh, sometimes that's, that's easier said than done, right? We have the cares of this world. We just have challenging family dynamics, sin nature. It, it all is somewhat of a burden sometimes when we come through. So when we work through this order of service, this is thoughtful and intentional, and I hope that you follow with us as we go through each one of those elements of worship designed to, by God's grace, hopefully, uh, layer by layer, just lay everything down at the foot of the cross and come before the Lord and receive grace and help in our time of need. And I'm thankful for our gathering. I'm thankful for these Sunday morning worship services. We know the Christian life, majority of it is spent away from the gathering, right? But certainly these times where we come together for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry, for the preaching and teaching of the word, for worship and song, a confession, fellowship, all the other purposes that we gather. I hope that you go away just saying, you know, wow, it truly has been good to be in the house of the Lord. And, and that's our, our hope and our prayer as we lead each worship service, that we will see Christ high and lifted up. And as we do, that we would just simply respond rightly to him as Savior and Lord. Excited to continue our series through the book of Philippians. Pastor Andy gave us a great introduction to this book as we went through a lot of the historical context, the background, author, recipients, uh, themes. Uh, we covered a lot last week, and the stage has, has been set. And as we dive now into the bulk of uh, this book, now in the coming months and days, uh, I pray that you would do your, your own due diligence in taking this simple letter that we, if you remember, we read this letter all the way through uh, last uh, service, just last week, and uh, we, we know that this is an easy read for us by way of quantity of time. We can read through this in one setting, probably 10, 12 minutes to, to simply read through this, this book of Philippians at, at a reasonable pace, and so I hope that you will do that as you go away from these worship services, as we dive into this expositional series, and we work verse by verse through this book of Philippians. I pray that you will take up the challenge to read through this as really as much as you as you can, and at the end of this series, as however long it's going to be, that we would be so familiar with this letter to the church at Philippi, that we would have themes and we would have verses and we would have um, just encouragement uh, for our daily Christian living that would be helpful for us to be conformed more to the image of Jesus Christ. And so as we dive in to this series, oftentimes as elders, we spend a lot of time up front just praying, Lord, where would you have us go in, in our next teaching series? And we just thought for such a time as this that Philippians was where we needed to go. We felt the spirit in this, this book as we look at the themes of, of joy uh, for our daily Christian living. As we think of themes of partnering together in the gospel, man, what greater admonitions that we need for today than to find our joy in nothing else than Jesus Christ. Because he truly is enough. We don't need the American dream we don't need political affiliation. We don't need comfort and ease for us to have joy. 
Paul is going to challenge us that we can have joy in Christ no matter what our present circumstances may tell us. And so we have in this next section, we're going to just simply go through verses 3 through 8, we have a prayer. A prayer from the Apostle Paul. And he allows his readers, his recipients of this letter to simply uh, come in, uh, to sit in, if you will, on this prayer that he has for them as he prays this prayer to the Lord. And the title of our message is uh, pretty original here. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. You may have that title in your Bible. Um, it, it simply is a description of what's going on in these uh, verses of 3 through 11. So we'll run verses 3 through 8, and then next week we'll cover verses 9 through 11 as we work through this introductory prayer and thanksgiving message that Paul has uh, to the church at Philippi. So ultimately, us as elders, we didn't really have to come up with our own prayer and our own purposes that we would have for us as Liberty Hills Bible Church for this next teaching series because Paul lays out this beautiful and inspired prayer uh, to the Lord and it encompasses in this prayer many of the purposes and focus points that Paul would desire for his original readers and as such these same purposes that he would have for us even today. And so as we work through this prayer of thanksgiving, um, our hope and our desire would be that we would latch on to these purposes and that we would pray over these purposes and these themes as we move into this, this new teaching series. I'm going to start by giving us our big idea of this passage, and then we're going to open in a word of prayer. So the big idea of our text this morning is this, our union together with Christ Jesus, it should produce a spirit of thanksgiving for the gospel and for one another. Our union together with Christ Jesus, it should produce a spirit of thanksgiving for the gospel and for one another. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, I thank you for the work that you've already done this morning as we have gathered together for worship, for prayer, for fellowship, for confession. And now as we gather to hear your word preached, I pray that you would do a work that I cannot do, that you would use your word to do a great work in our lives. And I claim the promise out of Isaiah 55 that when your word goes out, it will never return void, but it will always accomplish the thing that you have sent it to accomplish. So Father, I pray that you would be true to your word in, in that promise, that as your word goes out, that it would change us to be more like Jesus Christ. I pray in this passage, as Paul desired for his readers to see Christ, to see Christ exalted, to see the relevance of the gospel, not just for salvation, but for everyday Christian living, I pray that we would be renewed in our appreciation of the gospel, that we would see our salvation as only by your hand, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This morning, Father, we're gonna celebrate those realities of Jesus Christ, your son that you sent to this earth to make a way. We thank you that you did not leave us in our sin, but Jesus in your mercy, that mercy that we sang about and proclaimed this morning, I pray that we would receive that mercy even fresh in the noon right now, remembering that you have cast our sin as far as the east is from the west and that we would be uh, just refreshed in our relationship, refreshed in the joy that we can have in a relationship with you and as such the joy that we can have in a relationship with others within the body of Christ, your church. So, Father, I pray that you would be with this time. Use your word in a great way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this opening section of this letter, verses 1 and 2, it was um, in kind of typical form of ancient biblical days, letters would be structured with simply proclaiming who the author is, the recipients, and then a formal greeting Pastor Andy covered that last week. And then typically this fourth element would be present of this thanksgiving and, and prayer. And Paul certainly follows this same pattern as he 
uh, structures this letter in similar format. But I want us to be mindful that this prayer isn't just some trite prayer that we just say, hey, you know what, prayer, uh, this, this prayer that Paul has for the church at Philippi, there's some good things that he says about him. He clearly has this good relationship with them. And so let's, let's move on to the doctrine. Let's move on to the instruction that Paul has for his recipients. I, I think that would be, I think we would be um, doing the text disjustice if we would skip over this prayer. Because I think in this prayer, we see the heart that Paul has, not only for this church, but we see the heart that Paul has for the gospel. We see the heart that Paul has for his understanding of grace and salvation. We see Paul proclaiming his assurance that he has in the salvation and this work that Paul has been called to extends not only to himself, but to the other disciples, the followers of Christ. And he challenges and encourages these recipients of this letter to stay the course and to be rooted and grounded in the hope that we have in the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So right out of here in verse number three, or excuse me, chapter one and verse number one, Paul's anchoring this letter in the gospel. How do we know that? Look at verse number one. Paul describes these three statements, servants of Jesus Christ, saints in Jesus Christ, and he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has in mind here for his readers and for us today that we would be confronted with the reality of Jesus Christ that we would know him as Savior and Lord, that we would respond rightly to him as Savior and Lord. So the person of the gospel is front and center here as Paul kicks off this letter. And we know that this central theme, this Christological focus of the book of Philippians, that's gonna carry on as we work chapter by chapter through this book of, of Philippians. So Paul moves beyond this formal introduction and this formal greeting. And he goes on to this prayer of thanksgiving. The first point that we're gonna look at this morning in regards to this prayer of thanksgiving is this, that Paul is thankful for the faithfulness of this church. This prayer of thanksgiving, Paul notes here that he is, he is thankful for the faithfulness of the church. As we look at these first few verses, verses three through six, it's interesting to note here that these three verses are structured actually in one sentence, a continuation of a sentence uh, in the original Greek. And so it's one thought that Paul has as he's carrying all the way through and he's proclaiming this declaration of, of thanksgiving to this church for their, their faithfulness. So Paul thanks God every time the Philippian church comes to his mind and he is expressing this reality to the Lord in this, this opening statement of prayer. This theme of thankfulness, this theme of joy and rejoicing. As Pastor Andy noted last week, this is gonna be a theme that we see continually throughout this book and we see this right here most clearly in verses three through four that Paul has such a thankfulness an appreciation and affection towards this church. He uses these, these descriptive words of all and always and every in verses three through four. Apologize, I'm gonna open up my text here. He says in verse number three, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for all, for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy. It's clear that these fellow believers were often on the mind of, of Paul, but, but how? How were these people, these relationships, how were they so often in the mind of Paul? Well, verses three and four give us an indication that Paul was proactively and intentionally exercising the spiritual discipline of prayer. Paul kept these believers, this church on his mind through the spiritual discipline of prayer. I want us to take just a, a quick moment to consider our own prayer life just for a moment of application. 
This first verse of verse number three, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. How did he keep this church in his remembrance? Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. One of the great resources that God has given us to keep each other in our mind is through the vehicle of prayer. I'm sure there's times where we have prayer requests that come up that obviously we will remember to pray for each other, right? Whether it's a surgery or some type of sickness or there's some type of tragic event maybe that happened in somebody's life and it's typically in those moments that we raise our hand and we say, hey, we need, we need prayer or remember this prayer request. But what about the, I'll use the word again because I, so, I got a lot of, of fun made of me by using this word, the mundane moments of life in the milieu of life. Remember that word, right? Uh, what, what about those moments? Just the everyday existence of your Christian life. Do you remember to pray for each other? Do families and individuals and couples and children and teenagers, when you're in your time with the Lord, do you remember the church? I think there's something that Paul models for us here. Isn't it about the Christian life that, that we need to pray for each other? Not just when we're in that moment of desperation or we have some crisis hit close to home, but just the every day of life to pray for us as family units. To pray for the trials, the difficulties, different seasons of life, whether uh, you're, you're a new couple uh, just starting to get to, to know each other in, in the early stages of marriage, whether you're in, in the throes of, of the child-rearing years or whether you're, 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 you're getting into uh, the challenges of the teenage years or whether you're beyond children and, and you're empty nesters or whether you're going into the later seasons of life, we all need, we all need prayer, don't we? What an encouragement it is to know that others within the context of the body of Christ are remembering you and that I am remembering you. Not only that you're being remembered, but you're also an active participant in that joint responsibility, that reciprocal responsibility to pray for one another, to, to bring our, our prayers and supplications to the Lord on our behalf. Paul models what it should look like for us to rightly relate to one another in the context of the body of Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine. There was a genuine thankfulness for this church because Paul took the time to stop and remember and pray for this church by God's grace. Friends, when we engage in times of spirit-led remembrance and prayer, our hearts 100% of the time will be knit together in a deep sense of gospel unity. What will the result, what will the result be? The result will always be the end of verse number four. What is it? Making my prayer with what? Joy. I don't know about you, but oftentimes the discipline of prayer can be challenging. It can be a labor. It can be a task to get through. And oh, that prayer, communion with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit and our, our God, uh, God the Father, that it would not be something that we just have to get through, but we would enjoy those times of communion. But friends, I'm telling you, when the Lord causes us through the Holy Spirit to remember an individual, a family, a couple, and that we would reflect on that relationship, we would remember the, the meaningfulness, the impact, the appreciation that we have for that individual or that couple or that family, and we would take them to the throne of grace, we would go to the Lord in prayer for them, the result 100% of the time will be, that is a joyful activity. You will go away with, with a joyful disposition. Yes, even if the topics are heavy, even if, even if the prayer requests are troublesome, there's a joy knowing that the sovereign and all people at creation, sovereign meaning he has authority over all things, and all people at all times, when we trust 
others in situations and circumstances to the Lord, there is a joyful peace that comes about us knowing that he is in control. And we are acknowledging that sovereignty in our life when we take a moment to pray for one another. So there's a model here. Remembrance plus prayer equals joy. Remembrance plus prayer equals joy. And this joy is going to produce a thankfulness in the gospel. I wonder, in your season of your church experience, have you ever gone through a time where you're just not feeling it, if you will, with your church? Like, man, am I, do I really belong, I really belong here? Am I really, am I really loved? Am I really cared for? Does anybody see me? Does anybody know me? Have you ever wrestled with those questions before? The answer to that is for us to get on our knees and remember one another in prayer. And as I said before, when we trust the Lord in prayer and we acknowledge his sovereignty in our lives and placing us in this local body, not the one down the street or not the one on the other side of the town or not the one that maybe have this or that, but God has brought us here at Liberty Hills Bible Church. And by God's grace, we're going to steward these opportunities well and for his glory. And so we're going to engage with one another's lives. And the best way that we can engage in one another's lives is offering prayer for one another, just as Paul did often for this church at Philippi. So maybe you don't have much in common. Maybe your preferences that you would like or the song that you would hope for, it's, it's not being sung. Maybe you don't have many natural relationships Maybe your season of life, you feel like maybe you're on an island in our, our current demographic, but God has placed you here, given you a spiritual gift. He is building his church, and he is fitly joining us together, and he's given you a spiritual gift to deploy in this church to meet a very specific need for a specific reason, and God wants to be glorified in your existence right here at Liberty Hills Bible Church, and that is a joyful opportunity. And we can embrace that as we remember one another, as we pray for one another. And guess what happens when we do that? We appreciate each other more often. And when we communicate to one another that we're engaged in that type of activity on their behalf, what happens to that relationship? It strengthens. It gets more intimate. We get to know each other. We get to follow up. We have more conversations. We have things to talk about. And God does something in our midst by way of relational unity that's centered around the centrality of the gospel and our commonness that we have in Christ, not in outward circumstances. So when there is joy and thankfulness in the gospel, God is glorified and the church is edified. This is church unity maintenance 101. How do we maintain unity in the body of Christ? We remember one another and we pray for one another and we find joy in being together in the context of the local church. So Paul apparently did it often and it clearly made an impact in his relationship with this church and it was joyful. So Andy made this distinction last week as we considered this contrast between worldly happiness and, and eternal and, or gospel-centered joy. This earthly happiness or earthly joy is rooted in present circumstances. It's fleeting and it fades along with changing circumstances around us. But eternal joy, as Paul will continue to describe throughout this book of Philippians, it's rooted in a delight in the person and work of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ. And so as we have joy in remembering and praying for one another, we are doing what? We are delighting in the gospel. We are delighting in the gospel. Does the present cares of this world and the struggles and the difficulty, does it often just drown out the beauty and the majesty and the wonder? Computer chapter one talks about 
Second Peter chapter one talks about that. Giving every effort to add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, brotherly kindness, charity. He says, if you do these things, I better turn there. I'm going to mess it up. Let's go to 2 Peter real quick. 2 Peter chapter number one. Verse number five. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with, with love. This is what we're talking about here is the progression of growth in the Christian life. This is, this is what progressive sanctification looks like. Verse number eight, Peter says this, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ for whoever lacks these things, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. The joy of your salvation. Psalm 34a, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you forgotten the goodness of the Lord, the joy of the Lord in the gospel in your salvation? Paul, in, these, in this opening prayer, is, is reminding us of the joy that we have in the gospel through our relationship with one another as we remember one another, as we pray for one another? Have you forgotten a little bit about your salvation, forgotten that you were purged from your former sins as Peter described it? What do we do if we're in that state? Go to the Lord in prayer. Confess. We remember our story of salvation. We remember how he drew us to himself we remember that grace and that mercy in that moment that he gave us to respond in simple faith, to place our 100% faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that ultimately, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, that promise is what? That we will be saved. That's a beautiful hope, an incredible blessing. So friends, there is joy that is delighting in the person and work of the gospel. Circumstances change, don't they? So our hope and our joy can't be rooted in circumstances when our bank account is full. It can't be only when we're healthy, only when we're happy, only when our bank account is full. That's not joy. That's happiness. The circumstances have come our way. No, joy in the gospel, eternal joy is rooted in delighting in the person and work of Jesus Christ, regardless of circumstances, whether I have little or whether I have much, whether there are seasons of blessing or seasons of loss, I can have joy in all of those seasons, in all spectrums that are present. Why? Because the gospel is true. And I have hope beyond this present day, beyond this present world, beyond this present life. I have hope that that gospel has saved me. If I place my hope in circumstances, I will always be grasping for more. If I place my hope in Jesus, he will always satisfy the longings of my soul. He is truly enough. So verse three then becomes our what? Verse four becomes our how, and verse five, look with me there, becomes our why. Verse five becomes our why. Let's read verse number five. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So why is Paul thankful? Why is he remembering them? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul has this deep-seated relationship with this church. He's thankful. Every prayer that he has to the Lord, he's remembering the church at Philippi. Why? Because of their partnership in the gospel. This title of our series is just that, partnering in the gospel. Why was Paul so joyfully thankful for this church? Because of their faithful testimony to partner with him in the making of disciples. 
They were passionate about that. They were committed to that. They were supportive of that. They were joyful in that work along with Paul, whether they were with him or whether they were not. They were faithfully carrying on the heart that Paul had in spreading the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul considered them partners. Partnering is an active concept, is it not? One cannot passively partner. This is something that you have to actively engage in. We do not partner by way of uh, osmosis. We do not partner by way of just uh, kind of accidentally falling into it. This is something that, that we intentionally pursue. It's together with one another for the news by God's grace to enter in. We, we partner together with one another for the sake of the gospel. So this assumes and requires engagement in the message that Paul is preaching. And this church certainly had that testimony. So why is Paul thankful again? Why is he always praying and remembering this church? Not, because, not only because they have partnered with him in the gospel once, but because they have continued to keep on faithfully partnering with him. Paul is thankful for the church's faithfulness. This phrase, from the first day until now, it implies a committed faithfulness to this work. Paul acknowledges that he is deeply thankful. He's thankful for it. Why? Because, unfortunately, there are those that would be unfaithful. They went out from us because they were not of us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians. There were those that who, would, who would come along with maybe the popularity or, or the buzz around this gospel message or the personal work of Jesus, but many would, would fade away, never truly having a relationship with Jesus Christ. But this church, this church at Philippi, they have this testimony of faithfulness. That faithfulness came by way of active engagement. You ever allow something to slip to the back burner in your life, whatever it might be? Maybe it's, um, maybe it's a New Year's resolution that right, you're, you're really fervent about in January, and hopefully you get out of January into February, and, and you're, you're still moving along in that New Year's resolution, and then you know, life happens. Have you ever used that phrase? Those excuses that come, and it becomes inconvenient, or, or something kind of stops you just dead in your tracks, and and you, and you just, you weren't faithful in that commitment. Whatever it was, exercise, reading, finances, whatever, whatever it is, we stopped doing it. Why? Why do we stop doing it? Because typically other things slip in and they become what? More important. They become more important, maybe not in their totality, but at that moment they slip in and we allow them to take a higher priority in our life. We're not careful to protect our time and to allow us to be able to pursue those things that we set out to accomplish. This church has a testimony of faithfulness with Paul from the first day until now. They did not allow the gospel message to fall to the back burner. They did not allow other things to become more important. They did not allow other priorities to take precedent. They stayed committed and focused on the gospel. They kept the main thing, the main thing. This is what allowed them to have this testimony that Paul praises them for at the end of verse number five, from the first day until now. So not only is Paul thankful for the faithfulness of this church, Paul is thankful for the assurance of the gospel. Moving on to verse number six, Paul says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to clarify this faithfulness that he is praising this church for. Lest this church, or, or we as well, lest we become proud and arrogant, Paul reminds us that it is he, meaning God, 
that has begun this good work. This is God initiating the work of salvation and sustaining the work of salvation. And Paul was sure of this reality that God would complete this work of salvation. I think of another letter that Paul had to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter number one. In his opening prayer to that church in verses 11 through 14, Paul says, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is, I love this word, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We see these three phrases according to the counsel of his will, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance The doctrine of eternal security is rooted in the finished work of Jesus and not our own ability to initiate salvation, not our own ability to complete salvation, not our own ability to cross the finish line into glory. It is all about God beginning to end. We are secure not in any of our works, but only in the finished work of Jesus. So what is this good work that has begun? It is no doubt the work of salvation. Because we believe in the full sovereignty of God, we've, we've stated that phrase a number of times over the last few years as we've recalibrated our church on the beauty and the glory of the sovereignty of God in this world and in our church. And again, that sovereignty means that God has full power and authority over all things and all people at all times. Because, friends, we believe in that, the sovereignty of God. There's no doubt in Paul's mind, this verse, verse number six, and I am sure of this, Paul said, there was no doubt in Paul's mind, he was sure that the God who began the good work, that God would be sure to bring it to completion. Salvation did not begin with the will of man. But rather, as Ephesians Ephesians just reminded us in chapter number one, it began according to the counsel of his will. So then we understand salvation and its completion, that it can never be up to the will and power of mankind. It is only a work of the Lord that keeps us. Friends, if it were up to us, we'd be in a lot of trouble. If it were up to us, we would all certainly fail in this pursuit. So then Paul is anchoring his readers and also us today on this reality that God finishes what he begins, period. This is the faithfulness of God. Paul was not only celebrating the faithfulness of this church, but he was anchoring his readers on the faithfulness of God. The circumstances would change. There would be more persecution to come. There would be lives lost. There would be a disadvantage in the workplace. There would be numerous challenges that these readers would face. And despite circumstances, and no matter what may change, he's reminding them that God is faithful to complete what he has begun. It is in his character. And God can only operate within his character. He will bring it to completion. This all comes to fruition at the day of Jesus Christ, Paul says in verse number six. The day of Jesus Christ. Paul further defines and explains this phrase, the day of Jesus Christ, throughout the letter. We're going to see this phrase come up. Ultimately, Jesus Christ to the promised hope that we have, the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that at that day, our faith that we hope in without seeing, our faith at that moment will become what sight? What a glorious day that will be to see our Savior face to face. 
to see the nail prints in his hand, just to feel the embrace of his arms, to see that relationship that we know and feel and experience this side of eternity through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the word of God, through the fellowship of the body of Christ, that we will see that with our own eyes. Be able to experience that for all eternity, the day of Jesus Christ. It would have drawn this church to a clear state of hope. Again, that no matter what the present circumstances were at that moment, that there was, there was a hope to come. The day of Jesus Christ. Christ would come and receive his bride and, and present her back to the Father without spot or blemish. This hope would transcend their present circumstances. They looked forward to the day, again, where their faith would become sight. So Paul is thankful for the faithfulness of the church. He is thankful for the assurance of the gospel. And our final point this morning is Paul is thankful for the grace of God. Paul is thankful for the grace of God. Look at me at verses 7 through 8, Philippians chapter number 1. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So Paul doubles down on the affection and joy and the intimate nature of this relationship that he has with his church. But there are some unique nuances in these final few verses that I just want to take a few moments to call our attention to. Paul simply says, what? It's, it's right for me to feel this way. That seems pretty straightforward, right? That, that it would be a good thing to um, to do. It's, it's appropriate for Paul as an apostle uh, to the churches in that day to, to have this type of relationship with the church at, at Philippi. But I think Paul has, has something more in mind here as we look at these words and the construction here. It's right. It's appropriate. It's good. But this, this word to feel, I think, is, is unique. To feel in the ESV is phroneo, it could be translated as just a feeling, but rather he's advocating for a mindset. He's advocating for a, a mindset here. So it is right for me to have this mindset about you because I hold you in my heart. We see this mindset often throughout this book of Philippians. We'll see it over and over again. We see it explicitly stated in chapter number two, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You, you remember these verses in chapter number two. So he's teeing up this type of, of mindset that we have towards one another as we not only rightly relate to the Lord, but we rightly relate to one another in the context of the local church. So it's a good thing to do. It's, it's appropriate. It's expected. But it's, it's more than just a feeling. It's about a, a mindset. This is purposeful and intentional in the mindset. And this purposeful mindset, it's, it's able to weather the storms of discouragement and disappointment. It's able to, to weather the storms of chaos and calamity, sickness and strive, Paul is anchoring his feelings in the grace of God and allowing the grace that he has received to inform and instruct how he relates to fellow believers in the body of Christ. So when this mindset is anchored in the grace of God, there is something that is produced and it's a deep affection towards one another. When we have this mindset among us, we have an affectionate disposition and demeanor. We have a desire to pursue one another in gospel partnership. We have a desire to come alongside one another. Yes, even in our day of American Christianity where we're so isolated and it's the day of the Lone Ranger Christianity and it's the day of, of the virtual service where we never actually have to 
rub shoulders with people and get to know people and love people and come alongside people and difficulties and hardships and struggles and persecution. What I just described is that's not the gospel of the New Testament. That is not the New Testament approach of the biblical church. Paul would have us have a unified mindset that we would all be of this mind. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers, dear friends, when we remember of grace. See, friends, when we remember the grace of God in our lives, pride, arrogance, this comparing one another, thinking that you're better than that person, offenses, all kinds of stuff. When we just anchor ourselves on the grace of God, and as we have received grace, we offer grace to one another. This radically changes how we relate to one another, how we respond, how we react, our availability, how we care. All of this is impacted by God's grace towards us. Why? Because grace is simply unmerited favor. We know that the grace we received in Christ Jesus, we did nothing to earn. We did nothing to deserve it. It was freely given, freely offered. He made it available to us. By grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves as the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Are you thankful for the grace of God in your life? And it's because of God's grace that it warms our hearts in an affectionate way towards one another. What does that do for us? It allows us to push past our differences. It allows us to push past the the uncommon aspects of our relationship and we can anchor in our commonness that we have in Jesus Christ. That common denominator that we have of grace can come together. And as Paul described and gave this incredible testimony that he holds them in his heart, I pray that we would do the same as the body of Christ, that we would hold each other in our hearts as we model this same type of grace-enabled Christian life. But Paul goes on to describe further both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul knew that this relationship that he had with his church, it was reciprocal. He described this prayer time. He always had them in his mind, but he also knew that this church was reciprocal in those prayer requests, that they were engaged, active participants in partnering with him in gospel endeavor. So Paul knew that that although they weren't physically present with him in his imprisonment, Although they weren't physically with him in his defense of the gospel, they were partakers with him of that same grace that allowed Paul to endure those imprisonments, that allowed Paul to do what? To defend the gospel under the greatest threat of persecution. This church, the church at Philippi, were partakers together with Paul of that grace. They were there with him in spirit. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Philippians coined that first. Right? This church at Philippi, they were so engaged in prayer and concern and love and affection towards Paul and Paul towards the church that Paul gave this testimony to and for defense and confirmation of the gospel that they were partakers with Paul of that grace. And so Paul, with this mindset, yearned for them with the affection of whom? Christ Jesus. Wow. Paul yearned for this church with the affection of Christ Jesus. Can you just think and ponder for a moment the mystery of the gospel? In Christ Jesus, as we're going to remember the life, 
person and work of Jesus Christ in a few moments as we observe the Lord's Supper. Think back of the affection of Christ Jesus towards you. And then can you embody that mindset that Paul had to display and deploy and, and, and put into motion the affection that Paul received in Christ Jesus. He desired to love this church like Jesus loved them in the gospel through salvation. Wow, that's, that's a tall order, is it not? Think about the sacrificial love, the grace, the mercy that was offered to you in the gospel. And this was what Paul attempted to model. Oh, that we would love others with the affection of Jesus Christ as we look to partner together in the gospel. As we consider this theme, partnering the gospel, as we continue our way through this book of Philippians, let us remember Jesus Christ this morning. This prayer of thanksgiving, it is, it is, it is dripping with the gospel message it is saturated with Jesus Christ because in this prayer, Paul is saying only because of Christ and because of Christ, I love you. I care for you. And thank you, church, for your partnership in the gospel. As we consider our big idea this morning, we remembered that our union together with Christ Jesus should produce a spirit of thanksgiving for the gospel and for one another. Do you have a spirit of thanksgiving for the gospel? Are you thankful for the body of Christ that the Lord has placed in your life? And is that all a product as a result of your union with Christ, remembering the gospel and what it has accomplished for you on your behalf? Church, I hope this message, simple message on a prayer of thanksgiving was an encouragement and a challenge. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we, for these few verses that you inspired Paul to write. Thank you for this relationship that Paul put on display here that he had with the church at Philippi, how it was just so clear, this intimate, loving relationship, affectionate, caring. And it was all rooted in the gospel. Father, I pray that now as we consider our response to your word, as we consider our response not only to your word, but we also consider our response to one another in the context of the body of Christ, I pray, Father, that you would do a great work in our life, that you would continue to stir us up as a result of hearing your word, that we respond rightly to it in simple obedience, and that now as we come to the Lord's table, we would simply consider one another. We pray all these things in your name.